0: Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. I want to talk about keys to a miracle or how God can take your little and turn it into a lot. Anybody up for that one? All right. Well, God tells us how to do it. So if you'll listen, God can work a good miracle for you. Mark 6, verse 34 through 44. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. They looked like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came and said, hey, this is a remote place, they said. It's already late in the day. Send the people away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, I love this, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, say what? What would you say? That would take more than half a year's pay. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves, Jesus said, do you have? Watch what he said. What have you got? He said, go find out. And when they found out, they said, well, we found a little guy. He's got five barley loaves and two fish. When it says a loaf, it's a tortilla. It's not a loaf of bread, okay? Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks, broke it, and gave to the disciples to distribute to the people. Can you imagine what they're thinking? We got 15,000 people here, and I got half a tortilla on my hand, and he's telling us, I mean, you'd be you'd be in a little freakout mode just for your ego. You're going to look really bad here in just a minute. So he divided the two fish, two fish among them, and they all ate and were full. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. So the question I want to start off with this morning is, what is it you need more of? Some of you would say, well, I need more patience, I need more strength, I need more time, I need more money. Whatever you need more of is what we're going to look at this morning, because the Bible teaches all through its Scriptures, and this miracle particularly, how God can take a little and turn it into a lot. The most famous miracle in the Bible is the feeding of the 5,000, and actually there were a lot more than 5,000 because in Bible days they didn't count women and children. They only counted men. The book of Mark that we just read tells us there were 5,000 men when Jesus fed the crowd with one little boy's lunch. It's amazing. So add 5,000 women to that, 5,000 kids, and you've got a minimum of fifteen to 20,000 people. It's the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So in this miracle we're looking at today, we get four steps on how God turns a little into a lot. So if you're tired of living in lack, I hope you'll listen. You could change everything today, all right? When there is a need, sensed by a few, and each individual accepts his or her responsibility, to do what he or she can with what they have, regardless of the odds, then God works a miracle. That's proven out in every miracle in the Bible. So let's see how that truth is evident in this story. The first step, if you're going to turn a little into a lot with God, is you got to identify the problem. What's your problem? The problem is obvious. Big crowd, remote location, 15,000 people, nothing to eat no McDonald's, what are you gonna do? So the point is this, every miracle begins with a problem. If you don't have a problem, you don't need a miracle. If you don't have a need, you don't need a miracle. It could be physical, could be spiritual, could be a material problem, a financial problem, but it's gotta be a legitimate problem for God to work a miracle. And by the way, if you can't see you got a problem, God can't fix it. If you can't own it, nobody can help you. That's important, okay? Everybody around you knows you got a problem, but nothing works till you know you have a problem. Okay? Number two, accept responsibility for that problem. God wants you to take ownership of the problem before He gets involved. Verse 35, by this time it was late in the day, and the disciples came to Jesus and said, Hey, this is a remote place. It's already late. Send the people away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages and try to find something to eat. The disciples got concerned. They said, look at all these people out here. They're starving. What are we going to do? So they took responsibility for the problem. Now, that's an important point. Who saw the need first, the disciples or Jesus? Well, obviously, Jesus knew long in advance they were going to have a problem out here in the wilderness with food before anybody recognized it. But here's the point. Jesus does nothing about the problem until the disciples got concerned. When they accepted responsibility, identified the problem, then Jesus got involved and started to move. Maybe you're having a problem in your marriage, but you don't even recognize it yet. God sees the problem. God wants to work on the problem, but he won't get involved until you recognize it. I got a problem. God saw your financial problem long before you saw it, but he waits on you to get concerned and accept responsibility for it before he does anything about it. God saw this church was going to need land years before any of us ever knew there was going to be a church here, but He waited on us to get concerned about it and accept responsibility for it and start looking and negotiating. See, we had to start somewhere, and then in time, He released it to us. So God sees the needs all of us have right now, but he waits for you to get concerned about it, take responsibility for it before he moves in to help us because it's part of how he matures us and strengthens our faith. Notice the disciples finally saw the need and they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, we got to do something about the problem. We got 15,000 hungry people out here. And look at Jesus' response in verse 37, but he answered and said, you give them something to eat. Say what? Now, that was an impossible assignment in the natural. How would you feel if you were facing an impossible situation and Jesus said to you, okay, Ethel, you do it. You be the solution. He's getting them to accept responsibility. It's practically impossible, naturally. Even if they had all the hamburger they needed, how are you going to fix 15,000 tacos that quick? Not only was it practically impossible, it was financially impossible. Verse 37, they did a little cost analysis and found out it's going to take about eight months' pay. Lord, we can't afford that. We don't have that money. Financially, it's an impossibility. Well, their figures were right, but their faith was wrong. The point is that God will often ask you and me to do something that from a human standpoint seems impossible. Jesus said, you feed them. Now, why did He do that? Why does He ask us to do the impossible? Because it requires faith. If it wasn't impossible, we could do it on our own, but it requires faith. And the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. I know you have a good hairstyle. I know you don't smoke, but God says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. God wishes some of you would do something, even if it's wrong. Would you do something? I'm exaggerating for effect for you legalists. But I'm saying he would like you to do something to activate a miracle, okay? You won't find in the Bible a miracle rarely ever being done without somebody doing something. That's a fact. So he stretches us by asking us to do the impossible. Now, there are three common reactions people have towards problems. First, we procrastinate, just put it off. Verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day, they'd been putting it off all day long. They hadn't dealt with it. They're waiting, waiting for somebody else to do it. The disciples had all day to see the potential problem, but they wait till the end of the day. Some of you wait till your wife says, I want a divorce. Some of you wait until you get laid off. Some of you wait until uh, you get notice from the IRS or you get bill collectors coming. You saw this coming a long time before this, but you did nothing to deal with it. So they did nothing. They just waited on Jesus or somebody else to do something. So my question is, what difficult choice or decision are you putting off? Procrastination never solves a problem. It just makes it worse, right? My grandfather used to say, Ricky, bad is never going to get better longer. It gets worse. What does the AA say, Alcoholics Anonymous? Denial is not a river in Egypt. And people just deny, I got a problem. They procrastinate. They wait until the end of the day. I'll do it tomorrow. That's not a day of the week. Do you do it now? Today is the day of deliverance, God says. Third, we pass the buck. Let somebody else do it. Verse 36, send the people away. Out of sight, out of mind. Look the other way. Pretend it doesn't exist. Maybe we can ignore it. So we just pass the buck. Basically, the disciples were saying, not our problem. We didn't invite these people to come out here and listen to you, Jesus. They came on their own. They got a problem. They ought to solve it. It isn't our responsibility. It's not our business. If they're hungry, let them go find their own food. And one of life's biggest cop-outs is the statement, it's none of my business. If you've got a friend who's wasting his life, it is your business. If you've got a kid going the wrong direction, It is your business. If you've got somebody you love and care about, about to make a wrong major decision, it is your business because love cares. It cares. See, don't procrastinate. Don't pass the buck or we worry about it. Verse 37, Lord, we did what you said. You know, we thought about it and it's going to cost eight months wages. Are we going to spend that much on bread and then give it to them to eat? So the anxiety of the disciples goes into overdrive and they start thinking, what if? How are we ever going to afford to feed this many people? How will we transport the food and keep it fresh? Who's going to clean up the mess after we feed them? Who's going to underwrite the liability insurance for this crowd, just like Woodstock? It could take weeks to get a health permit to have this thing. See, they're worrying. Typical reaction, we procrastinate, pass the buck, and we worry. And what's funny about it, is Jesus is the solution, he's standing right there with them. This is Jesus, the man who can turn stones into bread. And they're looking for Colonel Sanders and KFC. They're not thinking. They're just worrying. Worrying is the opposite of faith. And it never solves anything. It only makes problems worse. Worrying doesn't work. So what do you do when you realize you need a miracle, that you got a problem? You accept responsibility for it. i got a problem and realize that procrastinating, passing the buck, or worrying about it isn't going to solve my problem, isn't going to help, what do you do? Point number three. You do what you can do. You do what you can do. And everybody can do something. Right? And you do it with what you have. You do what you can with what you have. God waits to see what we're going to do with what we have. Not what we don't have. Then he steps in. Verse 38, first thing he says is, what you got? Have you ever noticed through the Bible, God said to Moses, what's in your hand? Well, stick. Well, give it to me. Uh, prophet sees a little widow woman in a famine. What do you got? She said, well, I've got a little of oil and half a cup of flour. We're going to eat it and die. And he says, give it to me. And she ate for a full year. A little widow woman had two mites, give it to me. A little boy had five loaves, two fishes, give it to me. But got 12 baskets full. You wouldn't have to go to H-E-B for a month. That's kind of nice. So he said, go see what you got. And everybody said, well, you can't get blood out of a tournament, as one of my friends said this morning. Well, how'd you get to be a turnip? You've sold yourself into being a tournament. A turnip tournament a turnip everybody has something you can give everybody we had a man once give us a goat He was sowing something. He was doing what he could to alleviate his problem with what he had Cindy and I have given away furniture television washers and dryers that we had in the house to turn it into seed To reproduce something we've given away money given away jewelry given away. everybody's got I don't have anything. Oh, yeah give me about six hours in your house and checkbook, and we'll see, and your closet, and we'll see what you got. You got something. Everybody has something. And all God ever asked was, What you got? What's in your hand? See? And when they found out, they said, Well, we got five tortillas and two little fish. John, in his account of the story, tells that the hero of the story is a little kid. He's the only guy who brought a sack lunch to the party. He brings his happy meal, and it consists of five little bitty tortillas and two little fish. And he gave it to Jesus, and Jesus works a miracle from it, from what he had. There are three things you can say about this little boy, and three things we can do if we want a miracle. Number one, he gave what he had. He didn't give what he didn't have. He gave what he had. Five tortillas, two fish. Wasn't much, but he gave what he had. Never underestimate what God can do through ordinary people with limited resources that are given to Him in faith. God isn't looking for ability, but availability. The Bible says He's chosen to use the foolish things and the weak things of the world to confound the wise. He uses ordinary people. I know a lot of people more intelligent, better talented, better strength, fewer weaknesses, and more money. Hey. Hey. I'm available. I was when he called me. I still am today. If you simply get available, God will wear you out. If you want to be used by God, if you want to see the power of God in your life, just get available. It really didn't take a lot of talent. God loves to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. And it's a fact. It is a fact. That encourages me. The little boy said, God, I'm going to give you what I have. And second, he gave God all that he had. He gave all five tortillas and two fish. He didn't know he was going to get anything back. And so if you want a miracle in your life, don't hold anything back from God when he puts his hand on it. What are you holding back from God? God, I'll give you anything, uh, well, except this relationship. God, I'll give you everything, well, except my career, except my money, except my time, or this one little thing I want to hold on to. I'm not going to give it to you, this little, this mistress, my little affair. I don't want to give that up. You remember, you remember when Jesus sent the disciples into town, he says, now you're going to see a Denny's restaurant, and out front you'll see a four-door Mazda. It'll be blue, and the keys are in it. I want you to get that Mazda and bring it to me. Well, in this case, it was a donkey that had never been ridden. And he says, when the owner asked you, hey, what are you doing with that? you said, the master has need of it. And he said, okay. He didn't file a complaint with the police He let it go. When God touches my life or yours and says, you know that thing? Yeah, let it go. Let me have it. I'm urging you, let him have it. You have no idea what blessings are on the other side of that. You say, well, I, I got a bad deal right now, but it's the only deal in town. Let it go, and then God can bring a good deal. Let it go. Don't hold on to a bad deal thinking that's your only choice or option. Notice the thing about this kid. He didn't tithe his lunch. When God asked him for it, he gave it all. He gave what he had, and he gave all that he had. And third, he gave it immediately. He didn't wait three months to pray about it. When God asked for it, he said, let it go. I know I'm going to do it. You know I'm going to do it. (laughs) Let it go. Let it go. Hey, you got to be contemporary. I mean, and i got grandkids. I, I hear that 150 times, so I ought to preach a message on let it go. All right. So he didn't hesitate. He didn't wonder about it, worry about it, didn't doubt about it. He just gave it all. And as soon as it was needed by Jesus, he gave it to him. Why don't we give like that when we need a miracle? I think maybe two reasons. We're worried we're going to go hungry, going to go without. If I give Jesus my lunch, what am I going to eat? I need every cent I've got just to make it. Well, you're spending too much. If you're spending every penny you've got, you're living too high on the hog. You need to come on down. You are spending way too much money. You've got nobody to help you financially manage that, but nobody can live on every penny they have. That's, you're, you're living very foolishly at that point. I don't care if you're a Christian or a pagan, doesn't matter. You don't spend all you have. That's crazy just to make it. And if I give it all to Jesus, what am I going to live on? You know, because we think, secondly, what's the use? I only got a little bit. How can my little bit help with such a big need? Here's 15,000 people, one kid with five tortillas, two fish. He could have said, hey, why should I give this? It's a drop in the bucket. I might as eat, well, eat it, and at least one of us can be full. It's so insignificant. How can my little bit help? And that was Andrew, the great, these great disciples. I love it because they're human. His reaction in John 6, verse 9 was, well, how far is that going to go among this crowd? That could be anybody USA talking, right? Yeah. See, when there is a need sensed by a few and each individual accepts his responsibility to do what he can with what he has, regardless of the odds, that's when God steps in. If you want to see God move in a miracle, you've got to do what you can with what you have. However ridiculous it may look, right? They don't say this isn't going to help much. They say I'll give it because it's what I've got. So what's my little bit going to do? It's so insignificant, I don't have much to give. What good is it going to do to help? The fact is, it's going to do you a lot of good. And Jesus sees what you've got to give. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12. The important thing is to be willing to give as much as we can. That's what God accepts. And no one is asked to give what he does not have, ever. If Jesus asks something from me, then he already knows I'm able to do it. I might not even believe I can do it, but if he asks me, I can do it. I just, I'm going to have to step out in faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Everybody lives at a different level. So it's not equal giving. We can't do that. It's equal sacrifice. You know, if a man makes $20 million a year and he gives 10%, and somebody makes $70,000 a year, and they give 10%, that's equal sacrifice. 10% is 10% of whatever you got. Nobody, the, the millionaire, the multimillionaire didn't out give you in terms of amount, but not in terms of sacrifice. And if I gave 20% of 70000 and he only gave 10%, I outgave him. I sacrificed a lot more than him. See, it's not the quantity of the thing, it's that, it's that, it's the sacrifice that you're making in it. Two, two pennies. The, Jesus said these guys gave out of their abundance. This little widow woman, she gave all she had. She gave more than all of them. See, God looks, he keeps score way different than we do. But your little and my little starts adding up. You know, Mother Teresa said, I can do what you can't do. You can do what I can't do. But together, we can do great things. And when you start putting stuff together, God multiplies it. It's really amazing. Hey, here's the thing about seed. Seed does not discriminate. It does not care what your race is. It does not care what your gender is. It does not care about the failures of your past. It does not care about your political ideology. It doesn't care that your mama didn't love you and gave you up for adoption. Seed is programmed by God Almighty into its DNA to do one thing for anybody in any nation on the earth. If you sow it, it'll reproduce. That's it. It doesn't matter who you are or what your past is. It isn't based on morality. It isn't based on good works. It's a seed. A seed that gets you into heaven. A seed can get you out of poverty. A seed can open a door for God's supply in your need. But it does no good until it's sown. That's the way God made it. That's why some guys who aren't even Christian live much better than Christians because they're generous. H-E-B, has, the founder, was a tither from the beginning. He honored God with his resources, and then he gave above that. Every company that tries to come in and compete with H-E-B never makes it. H-E-B is the most generous corporation in this city. They, they support the poor, every foundation they give to their own church. I'm telling you, that family had a good father, a good foundation, and God has blessed them richly. And it ain't just because they have good food. Generosity. I'm thinking, I'm not going to let a pagan outproduce me. I'm not going to let a pagan work a formula God gives for anybody and not use it. That's just the dumbest thing I ever heard. So. When we have given our best, when we recognize the problem, when we've accepted responsibility for the problem, and we don't procrastinate about the problem, we don't ignore the problem, we don't pass the buck, let somebody else do it, we don't worry about it, we do what we can with what we have, and we give our best to God. And then four, expect a miracle. Now, you You moved. Now God's going to move. Verse 39. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat in groups of hundreds and 50, taking the five tortillas and two fish. Looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among these 12, all eight and were seven. I don't know how you'd feel, but if Jesus handed me with 12 of us, and they name five tortillas and two little fish, that couldn't have been much of a fish. Out of 12 people, what would you think? I mean, we're not talking a 200-pound tuna. We're talking about a little boy, and five tortillas with 12 guys. And I'm thinking I got to walk over to my crowd and get. I'm probably going to do it this way. I don't want it in case it goes bad and it's not working. But as they broke off pieces, it just kept reproducing, and reproducing, and reproducing. And when everybody finished, you got 12 baskets full. And he uses these people, these 12 guys that are just like you and me, to feed all these people. So expect a miracle. God specializes in things humanly impossible. If you ever use that word, impossible, listen for God to laugh. God will snicker at you. Impossible is not in his vocabulary. I mean, if he can raise the dead, if he can open the Red Sea, if he can feed you with an unclean raven, if he can make a 90-year-old woman have a baby and a 100-year-old man, for God's sake, what's the problem with your Mazda? You see how foolish we look sometimes? Jeremiah 32, 27. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing. He can overcome your addiction. Maybe you've had people say, well, and they give you statistics. You leave God out of the equation. With God, nothing's impossible. If I'm called to do it, if God demands that I do it, I can do it. With Christ, all things are possible, right? Mark 9, verse 23, Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes. That's a pretty inclusive statement. No matter how big your problem is, God can handle it. But you got to do your part. You do what you can with what you've got. And then expect God to take it from there. God's not going to do what you can do. You remember when Peter was in prison in the book of Acts, and the angel came, unlocked the doors, put all the guards to sleep, and you know what he told Peter? Put on your sandals. The angel wasn't going to put on his sandals. Put on your drawers, Peter. I'm not going to dress you. You do that. There were certain responsibilities you have to do. So God waits on us to do what we can with what we have. I will guarantee you in this crowd this morning, if you'll begin this, as we close this year, John R. Rice told me as a young man, he said, Ricky, there will be a day when you hit an impasse, when you can't get a need met. Yeah, you tithe and you give and you hit an impasse. He said, what I have learned over my, back then he was 80, he printed a Christian magazine. He said, what I have learned is give something away. He said, I've given away a printing press to a struggling new magazine. I, I've given away free subscriptions. He says, give something away. One time, now you're going back in the early 70s, we bought a home in Savannah, Georgia, but I also had a lot. Back then it was $20,000 for that lot, but the house came available. The negotiation went in my favor and I took it, but I've got to sell that $20,000 lot and it's just on a month-to-month note. And it ain't selling. And I'm running down there. I'm anointing the trees on it with oil. I'm praying over it. I'm running around it. Nothing, not a call. Nobody's calling for the sign on that lot. And I remember what John R. Rice said. I said, honey, we're going to get a pickup and we're going to load it up. We got a Lazy Boy, we got an RCA color television, and a washer and dryer. And I took it to the poorest couple in our young adult class. We had 700, and they lived in a shack you could see through and had a couple of babies. So we took the boys from my class, and we took it over, set up the washer and dryer, set up the Lazy Boys and the TV for them because they couldn't do a thing to pay it back to me. At 5 p.m., eating supper. It's dark. It's winter. I get a knock on the door. A Chicago businessman in a trench coat is standing there. He said, Excuse me, sir, uh, do you own that lot 47 down here on Skidaway Island? I said, I that speaketh unto thee am he. Yes, I, <laughs> yes, I am. He said, I want to buy it. Gave me a $5,000 deposit and says, We'll close it in a week. He did. And boy, was I happy. I had done everything I could with what I had. And then I took John R. Rice, I said, give something away. We've given away a car, we've given away boats, we've given away wave runners, we've given away jewelry. Don't tell me you don't have something that you can do with God. You give him what you do have. And watch God honor your faith. And it'll build your faith so that you'll have bigger challenges and you won't be afraid to kick loose whatever God says, whether it's a tithe or it's a sacrificial gift for something or it's an object of something. But give and you shall receive. It is a principle that works for folks you don't like. It will work. Expect God to help you in your problem, on the job, whatever. Matthew 9, verse 29, according to your faith, be it done to you. That verse says, I get to choose what God does in my life. According to your faith, It'll be done to you. You want to believe God for a little? Okay, He'll do a little in your life. You want to believe God for a lot? More? Then He'll do more in your life. You want to believe God for a miracle? He'll work a miracle in your life according to your faith. Not mom and daddy's faith, not my faith, not your friend's faith, your faith. Your faith. You get to choose. And it teaches a principle that runs all through Scripture that you can't outgive God on anything. Whatever you give to Him in faith, the blessing is incredible. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken bread and fish. And the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. 12 baskets of leftovers. The little boy went home, came home, left home with five loaves, two fish. Comes home with 12 apostles and 12 baskets. Don't you know mama was shaking. Son, have you robbed a store? What have you done? Anytime you give sacrificially to God, you always end up getting more back. You can't outgive God. Whenever I say, Jesus, I don't have much, but I'll give you what I do have, I'll give you all I have, and I'll give it now, you always get more back in return. That's why giving is really a test of faith. It really is. What is it you can't let go of? See, I think the central lesson of the story is what we want God to do for us, he wants to do through us. Jesus could have done this miracle without the disciples, without the kid. He could have rained manna down from heaven, but he didn't. He used the disciples. He waited until they got concerned, accepted responsibility, and he waited until a little boy showed up, came forward and said, Jesus, here's what I got. Not much. You take it. Because God almost always performs miracles through people. I have never been blessed by osmosis. It's always been a person. It's always been people. He likes to use people. It blesses him. It blesses a person, making them an instrument of a miracle. He didn't need the disciples. He didn't need the kid. But people are God's method. And what, God, God, what you need, God wants to work through you. So let's stop a pity party, okay? You might be tempted to do it, go to one regarding your problem. All God asks from any of us, just give your best. Remember, when there's a need, Since by a few, not everybody has to buy in. Not everybody has to get on the bandwagon. The disciples sensed it, those who were closest to Jesus. When there is a need, since by a few, each individual accepts his or her responsibility to do what he or she can with what he has, regardless of the odds. Then God steps in and moves. You can apply that in any area of your life. So what are you going to do with your problem? Procrastinate? Forget it? Just keep doing what you're doing until you get so miserable you can't stand it. Pass the buck. Hope somebody else will do it. Let somebody else take care of the problem. Let somebody else pay the bill. I got my own commitments, Rick. Don't expect me to sacrifice. Or we can worry about it. Where am I going to get that kind of money? How can I afford to let go of that? Or we can accept responsibility and do what we can with what we have. And watch Jesus turn my little into a lot. We all have and will need a miracle at some time or another. Everybody. In fact, in this room this morning, there are miracles needed and miracles waiting to happen. And what we've been reminded of this morning is that God is in the miracle working business. When you and I were without strength, without hope, without help, God sent his son, his most valuable possession, who died for us he arose the third day he's now alive and present to give us our needed miracle God who gave his only begotten son treasure of heaven how will we withhold any good thing from us God says not going to happen so what do you need today that you're powerless and unable to provide you know a miracle is when Jesus shows up anywhere and gets his way he's here today He's willing and ready to meet your needs. Will you give Him His way in your life? Will you allow His way and His will to be accomplished in you and through you? Miracles happen when He moves. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit SummitSA.com.